With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Carla, and welcome to episode 22 of There Might Be Cupcakes. This week, I bring you a mystery from my overladen bookshelves and my overladen brain, the story of another foundling. Fire can both warm or consume, water can quench or drown, wind can caress or cut, and so it is with human relationship. We can both create and destroy, nurture and terrorize, traumatize and heal each other. Bruce Perry, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, and Other Stories from a Child Psychiatrist's Notebook. Imagine, you live in a village that is centered around a vibrant square where daily life is conducted. The village well, the church, the market. You know, if not everyone, nearly everyone. Life is a difficult, if sometimes pleasant, routine of labor. There are not too many surprises in the changes of seasons. Occasionally a peddler comes to town with wool or tin. Occasionally there is a court where grievances are heard, and the rare murderer or salt is tried. But there is no mystery beyond God's grace from year to year. Then, into your village square stumbles a strange child. An adolescent of strange gait and sheer exhaustion staggers into the square, falls into the cobbler's arms, and thrusts a note upon the cobbler. This boy was unable to speak, and more than an incoherent mumble, seemed half dead of what? Fatigue? Famine? Fear? This is what happened on Nur- in Nuremberg, Germany on May 26, 1828. The shocked cobbler was George Weichmann, and he caught the youth as he fell into his arms. The letter the boy shoved into his hands was addressed to the captain of the 4th Squadron, 6th Cavalry Regiment. So Cobbler George took this mysterious foundling boy to the captain's house where this family proved himself to be quite unfamiliar with village life in all of its forms. He seemed to be afraid of everything but horses, and he seemed to be not afraid enough of horses, approaching them from the rear and approaching them quickly. The boy immediately tried to touch a candle flame and was burned for his efforts. And you know from playing those swoopy, dramatic vampire movie games with candle flames that you have to hold your hand rather steady to become truly injured from a small candle flame. The foundling was baffled by beer and meat, staples of the German diet, though when he was presented with black bread and some water, he fed himself and drank ravenously. The captain's grandfather clock absolutely terrified the youth, and the only words the boy would speak clearly was, We snuck, I don't know, and horse, horse. The authorities were summoned, and to them, again the foundling would only repeat, I don't know, I don't know. 
but when given a piece of paper and pencil by a police officer, the youth wrote the name Casper Hauser. The authorities noted that Casper, for they assumed this name was his name, showed signs of having been kept indoors for an inordinately long time. His feet were extremely tender, as if not walked upon often. They were cracked in several places and even bleeding through his shoes. He walked in a strange, lurching, stiff-limbed manner. He was also shockingly pale, and his entire outfit looked as if it had been plucked from a scarecrow. The envelope, addressed to the Calvary Regiment captain, contained two letters. The first, seemingly older than the second, read, This child has been baptized. His name is Casper. You must give him a second name yourself. His father was a cavalry soldier. When he is 17, take him to Nuremberg to the 6th Cavalry Regiment. His father belonged to it. He was born on April 30th, 1812. I am a poor girl. I can't take care of him. His father is dead. The second follow-up note read as follows. Honored Captain, I send you a lad who wishes to serve his king and in the army. He was brought to me on October 7th, 1812. I am but a poor laborer with children of my own to rear. His mother asked me to bring up the boy. Since then, I have never let him go outside the house. The letter had no signature. The letters looked suspiciously as if they had been written by the same hand at around the same time, not 16 years apart. And again, that there was that ominous last line. Since then, I have never let him go outside the house. Not knowing what to do with him truly, the authorities locked him in a cell for everyone involved safekeeping. Besides, he was technically a vagabond because he had no proof of tradesmanship. Casper seemed content to sit in his new home, his prison cell, for hours without moving. To his jailers, he seemed to have no sense of time or any concept of time measurement. They quickly found that he, as noted earlier, had extremely small vocabulary, wider than simply, I don't know, in horse, but not by much. He would repeat that he wanted to be a cavalryman like his father, hour in and hour out, if spoken to, like a parrot taught to speak. His jailers and other interested parties who came to see the new captive discovered that Casper had intense and strange sensory acuteness, especially when it came to hearing and eyesight. He could read in the near darkness. He was also incredibly sensitive to taste, so feeding him was difficult. He could also remarkably tell metals apart by touch, as well as magnetic poles. This ability would be named a few years later by Joseph Rose Buchanan as psychometry. Psychometry, which literally means soul measurement, referring to using the soul as a measurement tool, refers to the form of extrasensory perception evidenced by the main character in Stephen King's The Dead Zone, the ability to discern unknown details about an object or its owner through touching said objects. So, when one combined the ability to read in darkness and to sort metal and magnetism by touch, many were baffled and frightened. Was this Casper a supernatural being? A witch? But the truth would be learned as Casper learned to speak, which he did, learning by absorption as an infant does. Once he could communicate about his past, his story was not one of sorcery, of spells and alchemy taught by some learned wizard, or of by being transported to Nuremberg from the land of Fay. His was a much darker tale, and one much more disturbing than alchemy or fairy, or even of half-wild feral child, which is what some in Nuremberg had assumed Casper was. Casper, as he absorbed German and learned to communicate, 
explained to the people of Nuremberg that he had grown up in a small room about two meters long and one meter wide with its window boarded up. He had no bed, but slept on a bundle of straw on a bare earthen floor. The room had a low ceiling, about one and one-half meters high. He could not stand fully upright. He saw no one. When he would awaken, he would find good German black bread and water. Sometimes the water would taste bitter to him, and when it did, he would fall into a deep sleep, then awaken to fresh straw, trimmed finger and toenails, and trimmed hair. His only toys were three wooden horses. One day a man came to him and taught him his only lessons, working with him until he learned how to write his name and how to say two phrases, I want to be in the cavalry like my father, and I don't know. Another day he awoke from drinking, drinking the bitter water and found himself wearing the strange clothing in which he'd arrived in Nuremberg. The same man took him out of the room and led him down the uh, path, promising him a real horse, then abandoned him, exhausted and blistered, on the road just outside Nuremberg. Sensory deprivation has a devastating psychological impact and can lead to the complete dissolution of the personality, accompanied by hallucinations, delusional thinking, and general incoherence. It is presently acknowledged as a form of torture. In fact, it is one of a group of enhanced techniques that are entirely psychological in nature and unique in that they do not conform to the general public's understanding of what torture is. Brian Moss The town of Nuremberg took Casper, the lost and apparently abused foundling, on as their own. They paid for numerous handbills, the equivalent of today's missing person posters, appealing for clues to Casper's full identity and origin. Townspeople searched the countryside for his place of imprisonment. In the meantime, the Nuremberg Town Council appointed him a guardian, a scientist, George Friedrich Dahmer, who was interested in animal magnetism. Dahmer was the person who discovered that Casper could basically read in the dark and discern metals by touch. Dahmer, who served as Casper's teacher, discovered that Casper had artistic talent. The cover art for this episode is a drawing by Casper Hauser, done in 1829. I will also upload it to this episode's website entry. Dahmer also gave Casper homeopathic treatments and, yes, subjected him to magnetic experiments, presumably with Casper's permission, if not with our understanding yet today of informed consent. So Casper's life from an unknown early age to the age of 17, if his report is accurate, was an experiment in sensory deprivation and social isolation. For what purpose, we can only guess. Scientific advancement? Perhaps. There were some laws in place about scientific ethics in 19th century Europe. Read Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. But the boards in place today to perfect, protect human subjects of experimentation did not exist at that time. Child abuse? Perhaps. Granted, the first Take Care of My Boy letter appeared forged, written at the same time and by the same person as the second letter, prior to releasing Casper. But that doesn't mean the first letter didn't hold a grain of truth. And if Casper had been handed off to someone else, someone who resented the extra mouth to feed and the child was not their own, or perhaps was their own out of wedlock, this strange setting apart abusive setup has happened elsewhere and been well documented. One quick example is that of Jeannie. This is a pseudonym for an American so-called feral child who was isolated and abused in the manner in which Casper describes, only much worse. 
Her case is extensively documented by professionals in linguistics, abnormal child psychology, and by Los Angeles Social Services. I actually studied her in both undergrad and grad school. She was born in 1957 and was kept in isolation and near complete physical restraint from the age of 20 months to the age of 13 years, 7 months. I will link to the book and the NOVA documentary about Jeannie's case in this episode's entry on theremightbecupcakes.com. For years, mental health professionals taught people that they could be psychologically healthy without social support, that unless you love yourself, no one else will love you. The truth is, you cannot love yourself unless you have been loved and are loved. The capacity to love cannot be built in isolation. Bruce Perry, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, and Other Stories from a Child Psychiatrist's Notebook. October 7th, 1829. Casper has been in Nuremberg for a year and a half and living with scientist Dahmer. Casper was found lying on the floor of Dahmer's house with a head wound and with his shirt torn to his waist. Once his wound was tended to, he said that he had been attacked while sitting on the privy by a man in a silken mask or wearing a silken hood with either a club or a knife. The Nuremberg police found no one and no evidence of the attacker. After the attack, Casper first ran to his first floor bedroom, evidenced by the blood trails, then, instead of seeking help, entered the cellar through a trap door where he collapsed. Some people thought Casper himself staged the incident to garner attention, saying that he wounded himself, stashing the weapon in his room before staging a scene in the cellar. See, after a year and a half, some of his physical strangeness has resolved itself with fresh air and exercise and proper diet. He had learned 19th century German manners and culture, and his written and spoken German had improved greatly. So, although no one had forgotten his peculiar beginnings, the strange boy afraid of everything but bread, water, and horses. Daily routine had returned to the village square, and Casper was no longer the center of attention. It was also alleged that the violence to Casper occurred after an argument between Casper and his guardian Dahmer about Casper's propensity for lying. As far as I could find in my research, no proof was found one way or another of attacker or of malingering on Casper's part. However, the fact that malingering and staging was brought up to the point that it has survived in correspondence to this day is striking. As we will see, patterns continue in documentation. A fine line separates the weary recluse from the fearful hermit. Finer still is the line between hermit and bitter misanthrope. Ding Kuntz, Velocity. Casper was put under police protection, just in case, and moved to the home of Johann Biberbach, one of the local authorities. On April 3rd, 1830, Casper was wounded again, this time apparently by an accident. Biberbach heard a gunshot from Casper's quarters, and, when he came running, found Casper with a wound to the right side of his head. Casper, who was not grievously wounded, explained that he had climbed up on a chair to reach some books. The chair had tipped and fallen, Casper had flailed his arms mid-fall, grabbed out for the pistol which was mounted on the wall, and had fired, injuring him. Again, like the previous injury, this injury had occurred after arguments with his guardian about his lying. This time, the correspondence about Casper's duplicitous behavior is more, shall we say, blunt. Mrs. Biberbach had written, among other things, that Casper Hauser was 
full of vanity and spite, an horrendous mendacity, and practiced in the art of dissimulation. Don't hold back, Mrs. Bibberbach. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> so obviously the lying, vain, and now apparently reckless and dangerous Casper, if he was willing to stage an accident and hurt himself, as it seems he had once, twice, what else would he do? Was not welcome in the Bibberbach home. Kasper Hauser was then removed from the public eye under the guardianship of Paul Johann Anselm Rutter von Feuerbach. Excuse me if I pronounced that wrong. President of the Bavarian Court of Appeals. Von Feuerbach, wisely or unwisely, took Kasper on a tour of Europe with eccentric Englishman Philip Henry Earl Lord Stanhope, who very unwisely showed Kasper off as a novelty for two years, from 1831 to 1833. Lauren Stanhope never got around to completing the tour with his home, England, which really bothered Casper. He firmly believed that Stanhope had promised to take him into England, which will come to play a little later. When von Feuerbach and Lord Stanhope were done with Casper, they did as his original experimenter slash abuser had allegedly done and dropped him off in the countryside. This time, at least, he was left with a safe person instead of on his own, with a friend of von Feuerbach's, a Dr. Johann George Meyer in Ansbach. Casper was not at all happy to find his worldly tour of attention and finery at an end, and to find himself once again in the countryside with a schoolmaster, with books and lessons. It would not be so tragically for long. December 9th, 1833, Dr. Meyer and Casper had a huge argument about Casper's excuses for not getting worked on, lying, and vanity. All wrapped up in the argument was whether or not Lord Stanhope would see him at Christmas when he returned to Bavaria, and whether or not Lord Stanhope would give Casper that long-promised, as Casper believed, trip to England. December 14, 1833. Casper stumbled home with a deep stab wound in his left chest. He said he was lured to the Ansbach Court Garden, and a stranger there thrust a purse into his hand and then stabbed him. The police searched the garden and found a small bag containing a note written in Spiegelschrift, which is mirror writing. The note read, Hauser will be able to tell you quite precisely how I look and from where I am. To save Hauser the effort, I want to tell you myself from where I come, blank, blank. I come from, from, blank, 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 the Bavarian border, blank, blank, on the river, blank, 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 blank. I will even tell you the name. M-L-O with an umlaut over the O. It has the blanks written out just like that as if someone were playing a game of hangman. The note contained one spelling and one grammatical error. You heard me read the word from twice. Both typical of Casper. It was folded in a strange triangular form that Casper himself used for his own correspondence. Casper, now in the hospital, was very eager for the police to find the purse, but he never asked to see the contents. And the doctors did agree that there was a possibility the stab wound could have been self-inflicted. So, Casper's life ended with one more mysterious note. He died three days later on the 17th, his death as mysterious as his early life. You either believe that Casper perhaps had Munchausen syndrome and made himself injured to win favor, to divert attention from his bad behavior, such as compulsive lying and vanity, 
and to re-energize attention as someone in the confused and painful position, as one who was once famous and now isn't. Or you believe he was the victim of child abuse and sensory deprivation and human experimentation, who was tormented and finally killed by his childhood torturer. Or you believe both are true, mixed in together. Just because Casper was difficult, manipulative, and prone to lying doesn't mean that everything he said was untrue and doesn't mean someone wasn't out to harm him. Casper claimed his first and last attackers were the original man who taught him how to write his name and repeat that he wanted to be a cavalry man like his father. He said the first attacker said to him, You'll not leave Nuremberg ere I kill you. Casper toured Europe, came home, and was killed. There's a dark joke that we threw around in undergrad psychology and grad school counseling. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean someone's not out to get you. I think that might be true in Casper's case. I don't know. I guess one of the final words of the matter can be considered to be Lord Stanhope himself. After Casper's death, he published a book, revealing that in part, Casper's European tour had been an effort by himself and von Feuerbach to try to discover the truth about Casper's origins. In his book, Lord Stanhope presented all his known evidence about Casper, stating that it was he that he wished to openly confess that I have been deceived. It is called Tracks Relating to Casper Hauser, Casper spelled oddly with a C rather than a K, only place that it is. It's dated 1836, and I will link to it in, on the website in this episode's entry. I will also link to Andrew Lang's account of Casper Hausner in Historical Mysteries. Andrew Lang is the wonderful author who collected all those fairy tales and the colored fairy tale books. The red fairy tale book, the blue fairy tale book. I will also link to it as well. My suggestion for my sponsor, Audible, as your choice for your free book, if you sign up for a 30-day membership trial to support the podcast, is about another person who became fa- famous, then quickly faded from the spotlight, and also handled it poorly with disastrous results. It's a true crime book by M. William Phelps. One breath away, the hiccup girl, from media darling to convicted killer. To sign up and receive your free book that is yours to keep no matter what, just go to my sponsor link at audibletrial.com slash might be cupcakes. Casper Hauser has inspired literature himself. He's featured in three different Herman Melville books. Pierre, or The Ambiguities, The Confidence Man, and Melville's unfinished novel of Billy Budd. He's referenced in Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, Beauty of Form and Beauty of Mind. He's also referenced in the modern novels, Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides, which I highly recommend and Nick Hornsby's Juliet Naked. Speculative fiction has tried to explain his origin. Some examples are Eric Frank Russell's novel Sinister Barrier, Frederick Brown's short story Come and Go Mad, Henry Kuttner's short story The Portal in the Picture, Robert A. Heinlein's novel Glory Road, in which Casper Hauser's name is used as an analogy for people moving in and out of dimensions slash metaphysical planes and Harlan Ellison's short story, The Prowler in the City at the Edge of the World. I will link to all these books in the website entry for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed this excursion into the peculiar. I love mysteries, oddities, whether they be unsolved history, paranormal, 
are the still not quite understood needs and motivations of the human mind. And what's more of all of the above than a boy stumbling into the village square with a proverbial note pinned to his chest? I have a surprise for you. This is Banned Books Week, and Saturday, September 30th, is International Podcast Day. So I will be releasing a short but heartfelt extra episode on that day combining the two. So you'll be getting two this week. Happy you didn't know it was a holiday holiday.